0: I wanted to share with you something uh, that no one else in the entire world knows except Kyla. And I wanted to share it with you because I love you. And so here's what I wanted to share with you. Uh, I wanted to tell you what my African name is. Now, if you're thinking, why would you, uh, Michael, uh, born in the United States, have an African name? Well, uh, it was about 10 years ago, in about uh, 12 years ago, uh, my wife and I spent uh, the better part of the summer in the Congo. Uh, And a lot of the trip uh, for me, she was doing some different things with kids' ministries, and I was doing some different things with teaching in different churches and one of the the seminaries in the Congo, uh, working with just all types of students and different pastors in the area. And so after a few days, uh, they, I didn't know this, but they assign you a name. Uh, And so they gave Kyla the name. I I didn't tell her I was going to tell you this. She does not like her name. Uh, But her name was Matundo. Matundo. Okay, so I think anything with the word ton in it, you just generally don't call a woman that with the name in it, but uh, Matundo was the name that was given to her, and that just meant uh, one who's got compassion, Uh, and so that was the name that was given to Kyla, Uh, and then after a week of getting to know me, and again, uh, I was curious to know what name they were going to come up with, and they said, "Uh, we're going to call you Kenda, and I was like, all right, Kenda's not too bad, and uh, I was like, what does Kenda mean? And uh, they were like, it means mighty warrior. And I was like, sweet. That is, actually, they didn't tell me it was Mighty Warrior. I was looking through my journal, and I was like, I cannot remember for the life of me what Kenda means. So I've already told myself it means Mighty Warrior. So Kenda forever moving forward will mean Mighty Warrior. Uh, but that's the name that they gave me. And it was a phenomenal trip of just visiting different schools and visiting different churches, and one of the experiences that I had while I was in the Congo was there for the whole summer. I was invited to go to a birthday party, Uh, and I'd never been to a Congolese uh, birthday party, Uh, but there was probably about uh, 30 guys. It was a dude's party, Uh, and there was 30, roughly 30 guys that were at this party, and By the way, when I'm in the Congo, I am doing the best that I possibly can not to be offensive, not to offend customs, traditions, uh, not to offend their culture. And if you know me at all, I am really picky with what I eat. And I lost almost 40 pounds uh, over the span of about seven, eight weeks because I just couldn't eat. It was so hard. But I would eat and they were like, do you like it? Do you like it? And I'm trying not to throw up and I'm like smiling. I'm like, yes, I like it. I love it. Uh, so I'm just going everywhere trying not to offend anybody, and so I go to this birthday party, and they're all sitting around in this circle, and then all of a sudden it gets quiet. Anytime it got quiet, I was like, dang it, what did I do now uh, to, you know, step on someone's toes here? And so my translator was there with me, and the translator just said, well, they're waiting for you. And I was like, what do you mean they're waiting for me? Uh, and they're like, well, they're waiting for you to share uh, an encouraging word with them. And I was like, no one told me I was gonna have to do that. What do you what do you mean? And they're like, everyone is looking at me, so I'm just having a conversation with my translator, and they're talking uh, in their language, and they're like, listen, they're they're here because they want to be encouraged by you. And to be honest with you, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember what I felt, and I honestly, as I was sitting there, and it's always, you know, I'm already out of my element, as it were. Uh, I was like, Lord, what on earth am I going to share with these guys that I don't really know who they are? Um, what do you want me to say? Uh, now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, uh, and I'm guessing you probably weren't in the Congo at a birthday party, but have you ever been in a situation where it was someone was like, can you just give me an encouraging word? Can you say something to me that would actually bring some level of encouragement to my life? So the question I just wanted to ask you is, what would you say And would it actually be encouraging? Because I don't have to convince, I don't think I would, uh, that there's a lot of people, if not all of us, that need to be encouraged. Life is pretty challenging as it is. Uh, So if in the situation where you had the opportunity to encourage someone, what would you say? And then the follow-up question is just simply, would it actually be encouraging? Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, Paul and Barnabas. And they were in Cyprus and they preached the gospel message uh, to the governor uh, of Cyprus. And then they just, they moved on and they're on a missionary journey. And so they, the scene that we see in Acts uh, chapter 13 is they roughly have traveled 200 miles by way of Mediterranean Sea uh, up to the new place, uh, which would be modern day Turkey, Asia Minor is where they were going. And upon landing in the city that they were going to, uh, the apostle Paul is asked a very similar question. Uh, The people, after they had gathered, and I'll read the text in a second, uh, they asked Paul, do you have something to say that would encourage the people here? Do you have something that you could say to us that would be encouraging for us to hear? So we're going to look at that this morning, and I wanted to share with you my heart for us this morning is just simply this. I encourage you to write this down. God encourages you so that you can encourage those around you. God wants to encourage you, not just so you can walk around feeling encouraged, uh, but God wants you to be encouraged so that you can be an encouragement to those that are around you. So I think a good follow-up question is just simply, is there something that we can be daily encouraged by so that we can daily encourage those that are around us? Again, I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us are just trying to get through the day. Most of us are just trying to get through the week. Most of us are just trying to get through uh, the month, as it were. I don't think many of us are approaching every single day as an opportunity uh, to enjoy being encouraged by God and then being used by God to encourage those that are around us. So as we look at what uh, the Apostle Paul had to say in response of, do you have something to say that could encourage us? What I love about the Apostle Paul's response is he didn't point to something about himself like if someone asked me to encourage them i'd be honest with my first thought is like all right what has happened in my life recently that i can say that would be somehow encouraging to them the apostle paul when he answers this question of can you encourage us uh he looks to something outside of himself he looks to a story that he now knows And it is a story that obviously had a huge impact on who he was and who he was becoming. But it's a story that has had an impact on on us thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. So is there a story that is so compelling that it's going to transform how we live every day? Again, not just trying to get through the moments of a day, surviving day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, but is there a story that would compel you so much that you would walk around every day, regardless of your circumstance or situation, and say, you know what? I am so encouraged, and at a moment's notice, I am ready to pass along that encouragement that God's given me to those that are around me. Uh, a great book that uh, Justin Buzzard wrote called The Big Story, he said this, your life would actually be a lot better if your life could become less about your life. Let me just read that again. Your life would actually be a lot better if your life could become less about your life. If you could see that your life is part of a larger plot than simply the story of me, then adventure and mystery and joy would reenter the picture. Most of the stuckness in our lives is a product of an overfocus on our lives. Most of the stuckness in our lives is the product of an overfocus on our lives. We spend so much time looking in when we ought to be looking out and up. It's a great book. I put it on the recommended read uh, shelf out there. I encourage you. Uh, it's, a, it's a super helpful, helpful read about the story that we are in. Uh, and what I loved about just that section, that quote that I read, uh, is what he started out. Your life would actually be a lot better if your life could become less about your life. And when Paul was asked to encourage the people, he didn't focus on his life. He focused on a story that was being told. I shared this, uh, uh, this example uh, a few months ago, so uh, if you were here, uh, you get to hear it again. Uh, but there's uh, an Austrian philosopher who's also an author Uh, who was asked the question, uh, and it's a profound question, is there, how do you change a culture? How do you transform a culture? How do you make a difference in the culture that you live in? Uh, And this is uh, what Ivan Illich had to say. And listen to this response of, how do you change a culture? Neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new, powerful tale, one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story. One so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole. One that even shines some light into our future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. The Apostle Paul has an alternative story to tell. And because the alternative story was so powerful, so inspirational, so compelling, it is a story that when given the opportunity to encourage people with, he pointed them to this story. And it's a story that is still being told today. A story that would compel, encourage, and inspire those that would say, I want to enter into that story. Uh, Again, if you're already there, Acts chapter 13, uh, start at verse uh, 13 and 14. It says this, Paul, I'm starting in verse 13, Paul and his companions then left, left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Uh, John Mark, relative of Barnabas, says uh, in verse 13, then John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Now, before I read the rest of the story, I just wanted to say one very quick thing. We will come back to it uh, in a few weeks' time of what happened to John Mark, okay? He's, John Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So why on earth did they leave? Why did he leave Paul, and why did he leave Barnabas? Uh, if you were to ask Paul the question uh, later on, he would say, John Mark bailed on us. He completely tapped out. He deserted us. So much so that he believed that, that when it came time and Barnabas was like, hey, I want John Mark to come back with us, Paul said, no, he's a deserter. And John, um, Barnabas and Paul had such an argument over John Mark that they said, fine, maybe it's better that we part ways as well. So there's a ton of speculation on what happened to this man, John Mark, but as I was sitting with it, I wrote it down in my journal like this, people will do things that don't make sense to you. So rather than try to control them, trust that God is in control of them, working out his perfect purposes in their life. I could give you tons of ideas of what happened to John Mark, but as I sat with that, and I've looked back over my experience, and I'm sure you can relate, there will be people in your life that just perplex the heck out of you. And rather than trying to control them to get them to do what you want them to do, trust that God is actually in control of them, And God is actually going to work out a plan in their life that might not have anything to do with you. So one more time, people will do things that don't make sense. So rather than try to control them, trust that God is in control of them, working out his perfect plan or purposes uh, in their life. Now, the beauty of John Mark, I'll kind of jump to the end of the story, is Paul, Barnabas, they split over this guy. Uh, But towards the end of Paul's life, Uh, when he's getting ready to go be with the Lord, he's traveled all over the known world. You know who he asks for? He asks for John Mark. And this is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, Luke, who is the author of Acts uh, and the Gospel of Luke, says, or this is what Paul says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. It just... It took time. I don't know what God was doing in John Mark's life, but it took time for John Mark to do and learn and grow and mature, so much so that Paul was able to say, you know what? I can see what God has done in this man's life, uh, that he is going to be incredibly helpful to uh, this mission and this ministry. So if you have a John Mark in your life that's at best perplexing to you, uh, trust that God will work out his plan in their life, not your plan. Uh, Let's go back, and this is uh, chapter 13. Pick up at verse 15. On the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for the services. Again, we're just looking at Paul and Barnabas. After the usual readings from the book of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. Okay, to put things in context, That would be like us going through our entire service right here, and then me saying, hey, I'm just going to pick on some random person here. I want you to come up and give us a word of encouragement. Now, I'm guessing if I just did that right now, your hearts would start racing like, wait a minute, what? You want me to do what? That's a little bit of a taste of what it would have felt like for Paul to say, listen, do you have something to say that would encourage all of these people that are here And I love what Paul does. He doesn't have to think twice. Verse 16. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and he started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. And then he tells a story. The God of this nation of Israel chose her ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering. When it says he put up with them, that means they were just wicked, stubborn in the desert. But it says God put up with them for, uh, through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. The story goes on. Then after that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people begged for a king because they were not satisfied with God as king. And God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. All right, so a little side note again on David. So I just want the women to listen up. Women, if you're single, that's who you're looking for. You're not looking for someone who's just cute and handsome. You're not looking for someone who's just, is compatible with you that will make you smile, that will make you laugh. That's all bonus. What you are looking for in a man uh, is someone who will do anything and everything that God would want him to do. That's who you're looking for. That's who you're praying for. And that's who it is worth waiting for, that you would have a man in your life that first and foremost will do anything and everything that God would want him to do. Now, if you're married and you're a wife, do you know that's what you need to be praying into your husband? Rather than getting frustrated that he's not doing what you want him to do, when you want him to do it, and how you want him to do it, change the prayer to, God, would you make my husband a man who would do anything and everything that you want him to do? I'm thankful that Kyla prays that for me. We don't have fights over why she's frustrated. That I didn't say something, do something, go somewhere. Why? Because she's praying. God, would you just make Michael the guy that would just have a heart that will do anything and everything at any moment that you want him to do, regardless of the cost? So if you're a wife, that's your prayer for your husband, that's how you encourage your husband. That was a side note. We go on. Verse 23. And it is one of kings, and this is the story goes on. And it is one of kings, David, David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. And before he came, John the Baptist preached that the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not. But he is coming soon. And I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals of his feet. Then verse 26, brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. Again, remember the scenario or the, the scene here. The scene is just simply, Paul, do you have something you could say that would encourage us? Yeah, I do. Go ahead. You all sit down. You all be quiet. And I will tell you a story. And so this morning, I wanted to just very quickly uh, walk through, how does Paul's response to being asked to encourage the people, if you have a word of encouragement, come and give it? How did Paul's response, how did it encourage them? And consequently, how should it, why should it encourage you? And how can you take that encouragement that you get from this response and actually use it to encourage the men and women around you, whether they know the Lord or not? And I say that because the men and women around you who know the Lord and who don't know who Jesus is, they need encouragement. And this is a story that Paul used to bring encouragement to the people. So three things that I would give you of things that we uh, learn of why this is so encouraging and how we can use it to encourage others. The first one I would say is this. Number one, you are part of God's story. Right? I don't even have to say anything else. I will. But I won't. I don't have to because... When you hear someone tell you, you are part of God's story. God knows who you are. He knows your name. He knows where you've been. He knows where you are. He knows where you're going. You are part of God's story. That alone should encourage you so deeply to say, gosh, if I'm part of God's story, then why am I so depressed and angry and frustrated and the lost in my own story? If I'm part of God's story and God has something for me, then I can be encouraged by that. Now, again, you might not have picked up or thought much of this, but verse 16 uh, says this. So Paul stood, he lifted his hand to quiet them, and he started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you, God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. That applies to you. Why? Because you're a God fearing Gentile. See, no longer was it just the Jewish people. Anyone else who's not a Jewish, hey, I'm sorry, I hope you enjoy the next 20 minute story I'll tell, but this is not applicable to you. Paul says if you're Jewish and if you're a God fearing Gentile, let me tell you a story. And all that he says is going to apply to them as well. And if you listen to the story, Paul simply just walked through the story of God. And he started back at Abraham. And he just said, God chose the nation of Israel. And he made them strong in Egypt. But then when they were in slavery, God powerfully rescued and redeemed his people from oppression. God was caring and kind and compassionate to them when they wandered, when they were stubborn. And then God made a way for them to enter into the promised land, and then God gave them leaders to lead them in the ways of God. Mentioned the judges, mentioned Samuel, mentioned Saul, mentioned King David. So why is Paul seeking to encourage them with how God has worked in their past? Like, why does he say, I have an encouraging word, but I'm going to get historical on you. I want to tell you a story. So why does he do that? I'll give you two very, I think, quick answers is, we're forgetful. Paul wanted to remind them of what God had done. Like, if I asked you to say, hey, two months ago, what was God doing in your life? What was God teaching you? How was he providing for you? Like, one of the ways, one of the reasons that I journal is because I'm just, I'm slow, and I'm forgetful, and I want to remember Everything that God is saying or doing or showing or providing for me. Why? Because God could do something amazing last week, and I'd be like, gosh, what was that thing again? I had that conversation, and I I forget. I think Paul starts with reminding them of, don't forget in this story that God is amazing. He's done absolutely amazing things. He's called you into relationship with himself. He's made that possible. He made you strong, and then when you were lost and got in slavery uh, to the Egyptians, God rescued you with a mighty, powerful hand. So Paul wants them to remember who God is and what God has done. I think the second reason, I think this is the predominant reason of why Paul started and shared this story, is he wanted them to connect the dots. Paul wanted them to see the connection of all that God had done in times past was leading up to all that God had has done in Jesus. He didn't want them to understand that Jesus is like a separate plan. That well, this is an anomaly that happened. He wanted them to see, no, everything that God has been doing up until this point in time has all been leading to and pointing to the person of Jesus. And it says in verse 23, and it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus who is God's promised savior of Israel. So he's just wanting them to see Jesus It's been part of God's story since the beginning. He's been part of story. So he wanted them to connect those dots. And then Paul goes on to explain that before even Jesus came, he sent John the Baptist. Why? Because he wanted people to be prepared, not only to meet the Savior, but to hear the message of salvation. It says again in verse 26, brothers, you sons of Abraham, and you also God-fearing Gentiles. And again, that is Paul's way of saying, this is for everybody. No one is ruled out. No matter your background, your past, your history, no matter what you've done or haven't done, no matter your, your social standing, no matter your uh, gender, no matter your race, your ethnicity, it, this is for everybody. Paul says, brother, sons of Abraham, you also God-fearing Gentiles, the message of salvation has been sent to us. Remember, he's trying to tell the people, you want to be encouraged? Well, here's the encouragement. God has worked throughout your history to point you to Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because salvation has come. And then it says in uh, verse 27, Paul makes very clear that the people missed it. Verse 27, the people in Jerusalem and their leaders, meaning the spiritual leaders, they didn't recognize Jesus as one of the prophets uh, had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. But here's where the, the story takes another twist. And it goes on in the next few verses in Acts 13 to say, yeah, but they condemned him. They worked with Pilate to conspire against him, and they killed him. And most people would think, well, end of story. And this is where Paul, I I'm, imagine, is getting even more animated. And he's like, well, wait for it. This story is not over. And he goes on in verse uh, Acts 13, verse 30, and then 32, but God raised him from the dead. And now we are here to bring you this good news. Remember the quote uh, from the Australian uh, Austrian philosopher if you want to change the world, you've got to have an alternative story. There's the alternative story. The one that we rejected, the one that we tried to kill, he was God raised him back to life. Uh, God raised him from the dead back to life. So I love this example. Paul says, you want me to encourage you? Let me tell you a story. Let me remind you of your history. Let me remind you of what God's done. And let me connect the dots for you. Everything that has happened to you has been leading up to this person, Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's your Savior. Well, who's Jesus? Well, you tried to kill him, but God saw fit to raise him back to life. Why? So that we could have salvation. Now, let me ask you the question here. When you look back over the events of your life and all that's happened, good, bad, indifferent, confusing, when you look back over everything, how do you currently make sense of it all? how do you make sense of you? How do you make sense of your story? How do you make sense of all the things that have happened from when you were a kid with your parents and your friends and middle school and high school and uh, college and just how do you make sense of it? I think a lot of us look at our story and everything that's happened and say, well, this was a terrible event here. Well, this was kind of good over here. I don't know what to do with that over here and I can't even touch that back there because it just hurts like heck to even think about it. So rather than seeing what's, God has done in our lives as a cohesive story that He is working out. We just think of it as a bunch of stories that at the end of the day just don't make too much sense to us. And what I wanted to encourage you with is everything has been used by God to point you to Jesus. Everything. You want to know why you went through hard stuff? It's because He wanted you to see Jesus. So you would be encouraged. You want to know why you went through all that just heartache, shattered heart, broken relationships? You want to know why you went through all of that pain, all of that suffering? Because he he wants you to see Jesus. Because in seeing Jesus, I'm not saying that the pain stops to be pain, but there's purpose. Your, Your pain will not be wasted. Why? Because he's using every story, every event in your life so that you would see Jesus. See, you're part of the story of God, and so he wants to connect everything that has happened in your life so that you'd see Jesus. And not only so that you would see Jesus, so that you could encourage someone else to say, you know what, there's a bigger story unfolding here, and it's not just the story of you and me. It's the story of God. And I can look back at all of the events of my life, all of them, especially the really painful ones. I could say, wow, that was terrible. That was awful, that was painful. But I can see that God was using it in my life so I'd see Jesus and I'd be encouraged by him. And would you know it? a lot of the events that have been most hurtful, most painful to me, can't tell you how many people I've met along my journey and my path that I've been able to say, man, I can so relate with your story. And let me encourage you with this. So what Paul does here in the very first thing is he reminds them, he encourages them that you and I are part of God's story. Uh, Dave uh, Harvey wrote a a book uh, called When Sinners Say I Do. If you're not married or married, I encourage you to read it. It's helpful. Um, And he said this, the gospel is the heart of the Bible. Everything in scripture is either preparation for the gospel, presentation of the gospel, or participation in the gospel. So everything that's happening in scripture, it's all about Jesus. Jesus. It's, it's either, uh, as he said, it's preparing us for Jesus, it's presenting Jesus, or it's participating with Jesus. So everything in your story, everything in your life is either prepared you for Jesus, presented Jesus to you, or is inviting you to participate with Jesus. So practically speaking, what does that mean? What does that look like? And I wrote it down like this. I can see my story through the lens of another story that's being told. And so the question that I can ask every single day, God, how do you want me, how do you want to use this and whatever this is in my life to help me know and love Jesus and help others to do the same? So if you're in the midst of just a a season you just wish you could be done with, your question is not, when can I get out of this? Your question is just simply, God, how are you using this in my life to help me know you? to know Jesus and to love Jesus. Every event you can filter through that question. Why? Because you're part of the story of God. And so no matter what happens, you know, sometimes those annoying things that happen in life and they're just like, you get a flat tire. And you're like, what the heck is like, I don't need this right now. Well, honestly, it changes even those annoying, what you would consider mundane moments, mundane moments to say, God, how do you want me to see Jesus, in this? How do you want me to grow in my love for Jesus so that I could encourage someone else with this as well? So, if you're part of the story of God and you've been invited to be part of the story of God, every moment, there's not one moment that could be or should be lost because all of them are pointing us to who Jesus is and helping us to know and to love Him. Uh, The second thing I'd share with you is this. The first one was just simply, you you are part of God's story. The second one is this, you are declared right with God. And just think about that for a minute. You are declared right with God. If you're looking for some way to encourage someone, Paul, given the opportunity to encourage the people, he says in Acts 13, verse 38 and 39, he's, again, walking through the story, and he says in 38 and 39, brothers, listen, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness of your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God. Something the the law of Moses could never do. Imagine, okay? And for some of you, this might not be too hard to imagine because you're going to relate well. But can you imagine hearing for the very first time that you can be made right with God, not because of your good behavior or performance, but because you chose to believe in Jesus? Can you imagine if you grew up your entire life and the message that you believed, since you could remember, was I need to do this and I need to do this and I need my, I, I need my behavior in place, I need my performance in place, I need to look a, way, a certain way, act a certain way. And by doing these things and whatever your long list, can you imagine if that's what you believed your whole life? Your whole life you believed there was... Only one way to get right with God, and it was based on what you did. Can you imagine, for the first time, hearing someone stand before you and tell you, no, Jesus makes you right with God. It's not what you do. It's not your works. It's not your performance. It's not your behavior. Can you imagine? I mean, that would be like mind-blowing. That would be mind-blowing. Wait a minute. For 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, I've believed that I had to do this to get right with God. And now you're telling me that the only way that I can be right with God is through believing in Jesus. Now you would think that most people would say, sign me up. What do I do? I I believe in Jesus and I'm right with God. You mean all of my sins are forgiven. Like just consider that for a second. Everything you've ever done wrong, every thought you've had that was not an appropriate one, everything you've ever done wrong, everything you ever will do, wrong. It's all forgiven. That's what it means to be made right with God. Now, that should just cause a great celebration. But I think for most of us, it causes actually great frustration. R.C. Sproul commented on this, and he said this, perhaps the most difficult task for us to perform is to rely on God's grace and God's grace alone for our salvation. It is difficult for our pride to rest on grace. Grace is for other people, for beggars. We don't want to live by a heavenly welfare system. We want to earn our own way and atone for our own sins. We like to think that we will go to heaven because we deserve to be there. I can absolutely relate with that. You think we would rejoice and say, wow, I can put down my list, my performance, my behavior, and I believe in Jesus and I'm made right with God. You think we would rejoice. No, okay, I'll believe in Jesus, but I'm also gonna, I'm gonna continue doing this because I wanna feel like I can add something to my salvation. I wanna add something, as it were, to being made right with God. And I love how Paul, just as clear as day, this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness of your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God. Everyone. Well, what about the really messed up people? Them too. Them too. What about the really spiritual people, the really moral people, the relig- them too? Everyone is made right with God if you believe in Jesus. And I hope for some of you, you're here this morning and you would be like, I can connect with those people who are hearing this from 2,000 years ago because I lived my life for the last 5, 15, 20 years believing I actually had to do something to be made right with God. And I so wanted you to hear the message this morning, believe in Jesus and you're right with God. That's it. It's not Jesus plus you plus doing stuff. If you believe in Jesus and who he is as God's son and what he has done, if you believe in Jesus, you are made right with God both now and forever. So really, we have a choice. I'm either going to self-save or I'm going to allow Jesus to do it. I'm going to allow, I'm going to keep working my tail off to do whatever I can to make myself feel right with God. Or I'm just going to say, you know what, I'm done self-saving and I'm just going to trust Jesus. Um, A helpful metaphor that was shared with me years and years ago uh, was just the metaphor of I could either walk over a bridge supported by my good works to get to God, or I could walk over a bridge supported by Jesus to get right with God. There's going to be a bridge, so to speak, work with the metaphor. And if I want to get right with God, I'm either going to walk across a bridge that is supported, sustained by my best efforts, my morality, my spirituality, my religiosity, And I can walk across that bridge. But you know what? I'm not sure I'd really have confidence that that bridge would hold. And as the metaphor went, or you can walk across a bridge to be made right with God that is completely supported and sustained by Jesus. He's the one who's holding up the bridge. Charles Spurgeon, in one of his lectures, said it like this. The bridge of grace will bear your weight, brother. Just sit with that for a second. Because it's easy to hear something along these lines, and you're like, you don't know me, Michael. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how much stuff I've been into. I just wanted you to hear. That bridge of grace is strong enough for you. It is strong enough for you. Thousands of big sinners have gone across that bridge. Tens of thousands have gone over it. Some have been the chief of sinners, he's referring to the Apostle Paul, and some have come at the very last of their days, but the arch has never yielded, has never yielded beneath their weight. I will go with them, trusting to the same support that it will bear me over as it has for them. So which bridge are you walking on? Because Paul was asked, would you encourage us? Well, let me encourage you. You're part of God's story. And let me encourage you that you're also made right with God. Why? Well, because Jesus is the bridge. And Him as the bridge will support, will sustain you as you walk across that bridge. If you try to walk across a bridge to get right with God, to know God, uh, to be with God, that's based on performance, righteousness, your own righteousness, it will crumble. It will crumble. That's encouraging to me to know that there's a a different bridge that I've been invited to walk across and finish with this last thing. We're part of God's story. We've all been made right with God through faith in Jesus. And then before Paul and Barnabas leave the synagogue, they have one last thing that they want to encourage the people with because the people are all fired up. They're like, this is amazing. This is amazing. Like, come back again and tell us more. Tell us more of this story. Tell us more about Jesus and God. And so in verse 42 and 43, as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. I remember being at the birthday party. No one begged me to come back for another birthday party. But as Paul and Barnabas left, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. And many Jews and devout devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. That, to me, is absolutely awesome. Because they could have told them so many things, like, hey, we'll be back next week, same time, same place, we'll do this again. But as they see the men and women are encouraged and challenged and excited and inspired, by being included part of God's story, being made right with God, Paul and Barnabas simply tell them, they urge them to continue to rely on the grace of God. So that's my third final point is, you can rely on God's grace every single day. Why would Paul tell them this, to continue relying on God's grace and I wrote down this answer, Paul knew all too well how quickly we can shift from looking to grace to get right with God, but trusting our works to stay right with God. And it was like, you've been made right with God by grace, so continue to rely on that same grace. Have you ever done that? You're like, man, I'm a Christian, I'm relying on grace. But what are you doing, as it were, to be, continue to be right with God? Well, I got to do this, because I, if I don't do this and this and this, and I don't feel right with God. And it it was grace that got you to God, but then it's works that somehow keeps you with God. And Paul and Barnabas immediately are trying to say, that's a lie from the pit of hell. The same grace that got you to God is the same grace that keeps you with God. So their message to them, to encourage them, you can rely on God's grace every day. How can I know if I'm one who's relying on God's grace every day? Maybe just ask yourself this question, and uh, in community groups this week, even talk about this. How do I know if I'm one who's actually relying on God's grace? Uh, Answer this question. How are you seeking to grow and to mature? Are you trying harder to be better, to not do certain things, to not think certain things, or are you leaning on and into God's grace to give you all you need to be more like Christ? So let me give you the example. You tell an angry person, hey, just stop being so angry. Okay, I don't like being angry. So I'm just going to work hard and work hard. I'm just going to stop being angry. Dang it, I got angry again. So I'm going to try harder the next day. All right, I know this person is kind of annoying to me, so I'll either avoid them or I'll just, I'm going to try super hard not to get angry. Gosh, I don't want to be bitter anymore. I'm such a bitter person. I don't want to be bitter anymore. So I'm just going to try hard to just be more forgiving and more gracious. But that person just annoys me. So I'll just work harder to be not so bitter, not so forgiving. Lust, I'm so tired of lusting. I'm going to just work hard and try hard to try hard to try hard to stop being so lustful. And rather than relying on the grace that God gives us to live the lives that he wants us to live, we completely depend on our own effort. And Paul and Barnabas' message of encouragement to them was, hey guys, rely on God's grace it's about God's grace. It's all, God's grace brought you to him, and it's going to be God's grace that just keeps you with God, right with God. It's not about what you're going to do from here moving forward. God's grace, rely on that to grow, rely on that to change, rely on that to mature, rely on the grace of God to transform. It is not your best effort that is going to lead to an actual real transformation. It is the grace of God The message that the men and women at Redemption Group weekend are hearing is not one of suck it up, try harder, work harder. It's a message of no. God's grace is sufficient. Rely on the grace of God to do the work of God in your life. Those were the three things that I wanted to share with you this morning. Uh, And I just love the question. Do you have something that you could say to encourage me? And Paul's like, I do. Let me tell you a story. Because you're part of it. And everything that's ever happened to you has brought you to the point where you could see Jesus. That you're part of his story. And let me encourage you with this, as the story goes on, that you're right with God. Not because you did something, but because Jesus did everything. So if you believe in him, you're right. And then the third thing he encourages them with on the way out the door was, and please do not forget, it's about God's grace. Rely on his grace to grow you, mature you, It's not your good works that will keep you right with God. It's God's grace. That's it.